This is Coda Radio, episode 132, for December 15th, 2014. And welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host, who is established on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Hello, hello, Chris. Hello, handsome. You know, I realize this is the last time you and I will be convening before uh, the big Christmas holiday. I know. Happy Christmas. Yeah, so uh, early happy Christmas to you, too. (laughs) And uh, next week we have a uh, best of episode. Now, don't worry, dear listener. This is going to be a well-crafted episode. Well, depending on your involvement. Uh, But next week we will have a best of episode with some new content in there. Don't worry. You'll be surprised. Not really. But I am going to be in there to you know say hello to you and greet you and, and uh, talk to you a little bit throughout the show. Uh, but uh, we do seriously, this is a freaking emergency. Like full red alert, uh, Captain Kirk has just been fired upon by Khan on the bridge of the Reliant. We are in battle mode right now. Rikai is editing together our best of clips. And Linux Unplugged has really come up short. And Coda Radio is like coming up fairly short too. We really could use your submissions. So please, please help us take one week off out of the year. We come here every single week. We just want to take one week off to say thank you to the hosts, and uh, you can help make that possible by going over to Coda Radio 132 show notes and clicking on the best of submission form right there and filling out for Coda Radio and, please, if you would, Linux Unplugged. So that way we can go through all that. You would not believe the task. It it is probably one of the most Herculean tasks of all of them. I don't know if that's a real saying or not. It's incredible putting together a best of. That's why I've never never tried to do it before. The only reason I'm crazy enough is because Rikai is here, and... uh, well, quite frankly, uh, I, I've never had the uh, balls to do it myself. All right, Mr. Dominic. Well, guess what? Today's a one, uh, today is a uh, mumble room episode. Uh, 132 is a uh, open mic edition of Coda Radio. So why don't we uh, get started by saying, by saying time-appropriate greetings, mumble room. Good Hello. Evening. Greetings. Hello, guys. Welcome to the... Uh... the falls, baby. <laughs> Okay, we're going to be getting that all year with the Star Wars, with the Star Wars. Uh, so I wanted to get started, uh, before we go too far, something I'm extremely excited about. Something, Mike, I haven't I had a chance to tell you about because, it, you know, sometimes you have a productive morning. And today was an incredibly, pro- perhaps one of the most productive in 2014 for the Jupiter Broadcasting Network. It all started this morning when Rikai woke up early. And I think he got his brain juices going. And right before Coda Radio went on air, Rikai and I started talking about pizza, like we often do. And Rikai was telling me, and Mike, I don't know if you've heard this, but you may or may not be aware that Rikai, as he informed, as he as he has told me, there is YouTube celebrity pizzas now made by Pizza Hut that you can order online, designed by YouTube celebrity stars. All right, are you with me this so far? Literally, be the worst thing I've ever heard of. You can get the official I Justine pizza with premium crushed tomato sauce topped with classic meatballs, sliced banana peppers, cherry peppers, and pepperoni, hand designed by I Justine. That's that 
Wow. So, first of all, I actually think this is freaking genius. I want to get I want to get that digesting pizza pie, and I want to eat that. I want. I think that's a great idea. I think it's super smart marketing, and I have. But I think we could do it better. Get ready for this, Mr. Dominic. Are you going to take a break from typing so I can tell you about this? Oh, sorry. This is ex- sorry. Yeah. this is extremely exciting, and I want you. Extremely exciting. I want your full facilities available for this. I Let's believe what Pizza Hut is onto here is good, but it's not genius. It's not big enough. Pizza Hut needs to go real big, and I think Jupiter Broadcasting can go there. That's why we have set up an open your mouth project on GitHub where people can submit their recipes. Then the community can modify those recipes, and we can build the ultimate pizza, and I will cook it after we have gotten everybody's poll requests in. We merge back the changes. We make sure we've got the perfect recipe, and it doesn't have to be just pizza. It could be pies. It could be your favorite holiday recipe. It could just be a good excuse to go learn GitHub. So I've set up a domain. It's called openyourmouth.recipes. You can go to openyourmouth.recipes. The DNS might still be propagating for some of you. It will take you to this GitHub page on Rekai's account. Rekai's going to be shepherding this. Now, don't worry. If this gets big, if this goes worldwide, we'll break it off onto its own thing. Openyourmouth.recipes. Go collectively contribute to an open source recipe repository. The biggest and the best I will make here on the show. I will cook it for you. I will eat it for you. I will review it for you. I think we have something here. No? I'd, I'd like to say that this was the best idea you've ever had. Yeah, I think it is. Fr- I'm bringing freedom to recipes. I am bringing freedom to your mouth. So, so I mean, I don't really care for the free recipes, but how about some, like, open source recipes? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. They're going to be all open source. It's all GPL licensed, too, just for you, Mr. Dominic. I specifically asked Rikai to make a GPL version, too, just for you. Openyourmouth.recipes. Yeah. I mean, a BSD version would be great. Yeah, yeah, no, I know that's what you would prefer, but I just, you know, I thought for you, because uh, I wanted to make sure that every contribution that was made was shared with everyone else. So uh, I think people need to go up there right now. It's empty right now. We need some entrepreneurs in our community to go there, start something like a pizza, and then let's get it somewhere. Let's see if we can do it by the end of January. Let's see if we can have the perfect pizza and I'll make it. Or it could be like a turkey, you know, it could be a ham. It's on GitHub. Open your mouth. And it's open it's open source recipes from the Jupiter Broadcasting community. Any preferred format for that? Well, you know, we, files? we need somebody no. to take the lead. So uh, kind Mark of it, it, the opportunity is to set the trend. Mm-hmm. Should be Mark. Markdown? Yeah. Markdown would be markdown. preferred. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. You know what? Let's go ahead and say that. Yeah. Let's say the recipe needs to be in Markdown. So that way people can publish it as HTML files. You know, I think this is, this could go big. We need to make it readable. I think but so. Also, yeah. you know, you want to make it either GPL or V3 so that you prevent TYization of pizza. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you went there. You went there. Uh, yeah, well, right. well, we, we could put that up for discussion. We'll, well, we're going to have to set up a governance council, I believe, and uh, that could be one of their first topics that they, that they have to tackle is, uh, how, uh, if we need to go to GPL3. I'm pretty excited about this. I actually think this, if seriously, if people want to get behind this, I think we could have kind of a fun way for people to submit recipes and collaborate. I really, I, I honestly want to try to cultivate a little bit of the Jupiter Broadcasting Development community and get them talking to each other. There, if you think about it, there are tens and tens and tens of thousands of developers that listen to this show, okay? And they all could be resources to each other, but they're all just kind of sort of disconnectedly listening to this show. 
Well, I, we're we're launching a few initiatives. Like after the show today, we're going to do a, a, a developer summit and talk about you know 2015 projects for Jupiter Broadcasting. And that's one way I think it's it's good to reach out to the development community. But I, as as much as it is also kind of uh, tongue in cheek, this could be a good way for people to to connect and uh, sort of meet each other and and potentially talk in uh, in the IRC room. And and all honestly, maybe we'll get some good recipes out of it. And I really will put them together. I'll cook them up. I think it could be fun. And 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 really, if nothing else, this could be a good opportunity just to learn GitHub because you don't actually have to submit any code, right? You're just, it's it's text. It's it's markdown files. It's just recipes. And so if you've needed a good opportunity to just sort of wrap your brain around Git, maybe this is it. I didn't even mean for that to rhyme. So open your mouth dot recipes. Mr. Dominic can be skeptical. Maybe, you know what, Mr. Dominic, to make you happy, we'll also, to the Governance Council, we'll bring up the BSD licensing. I'm not opposed to either one. It needs to be BSD because true freedom is the freedom to be evil. I just I wanted my licenses for my recipes to be viral. You know what I mean? I wanted that. Is that how things go viral? Yeah. Well, I just felt like I wanted to make sure that if my recipes were widely adopted, I'm going to submit some barbecue stuff up there when I get to it. I'm going to put up, uh, I have, there is a tri-tip recipe that my wife and I cherish that I've never shared with anyone that is like, it is the recipe that got my wife to start eating tri-tip and now she's the one that we're going to cook it soon, actually. And I'm going to put that up there. So, it, you know what? The, there's uh, Kits and Kitties asking about barbecue pizza. Could be all kinds of pizza. I would just like to see the community sort of really rally behind one ultimate Jupiter broadcasting pizza. Because these YouTube stars got their pizza. Look at this. This is on the Pizza Hut side. There's the, uh, it, you know, I mean, there's the official Rooster Teeth podcast pizza. Well, that's fine if you've if you got a pizza in your neck of the woods. No. Open pizza. Open source pizza. Openyourmouth.recipes.com. I'm serious. Let's do it. Let's get together as a community. Let's have some fun. And uh, we all probably need to make more food and eat at home more. At least I know I do. Maybe this will encourage some of us to do it. Uh, the official Chris Fit. No, it won't be the. No, it'd be the Jupiter Broadcasting. It's not just me. It'd be everybody's pizza blaster. Everybody, come on now. Uh, all right. Speaking. Why don't we? Uh, why don't we? Before we get to all of our feedback, I know I've 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 derailed this. Uh, but I was just talking about learning GitHub. That seems like a pretty good chance to mention Linux Academy. Because that, guess what? That's one of the many courses that they have. Excellent courses over at Linux Academy. Get started by going to linuxacademy.com slash coders. That's going to save you on the Linux Academy subscription. And you are going to find that that subscription is an invaluable resource to keep you updated on topics. Go over there right now, linuxacademy.com slash coders. Trust me, you're going to be very impressed. Because these, this courseware is created by people that truly, genuinely understand the material. It's not a generic training site where they have thousands of courses on every topic possible from fixing your sink to writing a website. No, it, it's, it's Linux enthusiasts, Linux administrators, Linux developers, DevOps, people that came together with people who were educators and people who were designers and coders. And they all came together to create something amazing, and that's Linux Academy. And so it's, I don't know, I don't think they're offering this discount anywhere else. Linuxacademy.com slash coders. It's Jupiter Broadcasting, I think, is, is an exclusive... Uh, offer of that discount. And I, I want you to go over there and try it out for a little while. They have step-by-step video courses, downloadable comprehensive study guides. It comes with your own server in the courseware. So if you're at a point where you need to actually do something in production, instead of just reading about it and testing on it, you'll actually deploy that system, that software, that package, whatever it is. You get It just spins it up on demand. You get a public access. You get SSH into it. It's so cool. And uh, you can set up different categories for the virtual machines. You can choose from seven-plus different Linux distributions, and the courseware will automatically adjust to match those Linux distributions. 
You can keep track of your progress as you go. And they're always constantly improving. I'm getting emails all the time from the folks over there about the stuff they're working on. It's so cool. And you can really, once you start seeing it, you understand why you do a subscription because you just get access to this. It is truly unique content that you get access to. They, uh, they're really proud of their new Puppet Professional Certification Prep course, which I think that is a serious feather to have in your cap right now. Uh, new courses all the time. The stuff on Docker they're adding is amazing. It's, it's the best stuff on Docker on the web, and it's so timely too. So go over there and check all of that out. In the last 30 days, they've launched over 100 videos, 100 new practice exams, live streams. Linux Academy is on fire. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Go there, bring your skills up a little bit, bring your stuff to the next level. Why not? And uh, gives a little credit to the show, too. It's a great way to support the Coder Radio program. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Happy holidays to Linux Academy, too. I like getting to say that now. It's like legit. Like, this is it. This is it's like legit to be able to say happy holidays. Uh, all right. So uh, we'll, let's, get, let's dive into uh, a few email topics here, uh, and then we'll get into our topics of the day. This first one comes in from Mirk, Mirkin Muffy? Muffily? I, oh, boy, I'm lost on this one. Um, but, uh, Mike, you saw this post, and I think you liked it, and I wanted to read it on the show and yes. get your reaction and get, uh, get the mumble room reaction, too. So... Headline is, now that it's almost 2015 and no longer, say, 2007, if you see an ad for a programming gig and it's going out of its way to try to portray the shop as cool, hip, trendy by dropping in bromids like, we're taking P- we're kicking PHP to the curb, should one now, again after a second glance at the calendar, start to question the technical prowess of these individuals? I mean, nothing says static in its space. Things have changed over, nothing stays static in its space. Things have changed over the years. And are these people, these programmers, just late to the party? What fad should they be name-dropping now to demonstrate they really want to, you really want to come work for them because they're trendy? I mean, PHP people now even speak of stuff like Agile and possibly FAP to conference videos. They seem to now be aping the Ruby community without the performance hit if you buy into the Ruby inter- uh, interpreter. And after the Rails uh, mer- merge, boy, I'm getting that all mixed up, the community seems to be in the Middle Ages now. I uh, uh, Sorry if I forgot to take my meds today, but... This just feels a little crazy. So I think the, the core point that uh, Mirkin Muffley, boy, that's a hard one, was trying to make here is, uh, and I've, this is something I've noticed too, uh, the, the trend in like hiring ads and things like that, to try to bash something in, as in a way to appeal to the developer, like, look how cool we are because we're bashing this thing. Don't you want to come work for us? And it does seem to be like, it is is very dating in a sense, and it seems to maybe not be appealing to the best aspects of a, a candidate. Mike, you saw this post. What what did you think? You know, I read the post. I, I definitely think it's fair. The whole recruiting system is kind of screwed up, right? Um, for instance, there's a company who literally only recruits his hipsters and advertises that. But okay. Did it come across to you, though, as a defense for PHP? It seemed like, honestly, a PHP fan, they got a little butt hurt about I know people hate it when I say that, but you know what? It is. It's what it is. People, somebody, they got their feelings hurt when they saw something anti-PHP. <sighs> don't, you, don't, don't, you feel like, like, don't you feel like that's a little bit what's going so on So I there? feel like if you don't like the way they advertise a job, don't apply for the job. Well, for sure, yeah. Right. I mean, Hands down. maybe that appeals to somebody, right? Because not every, you know, not every job is going to be right for the same person boy uh here's the thing though that kind of polarization that feels like the worst 
about the tech, the worst thing about the tech community. Like, out of all right. the things in our lives that we could get all upset about, you know, politics and world events and family issues and sickness and health, why are we getting worked up about PHP versus Ruby? Like, it does seem, like, it seems a little, uh, I don't know, like, like archaic a little bit. So I, I get the core point there. But I think it's inspired, perhaps, by somebody being a little offended because uh, they're a PHP fan. Anybody in the Mumble Room have any thoughts about the uh, marketing at potential recruits using like this sort of over-aggressive, hyper-aggressive language? Uh, yeah, just there's always going to be that those 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 people that are looking for a specific type of person, and they're going to want to try and to hook on to maybe the things that they remember, or that you know people around them seem to go and feel the same way. It's like, oh, if we're not doing JSP here, we're doing, you know, you name it, Django and Python. Yeah, right, right, what right. Have you. you know? It seems to me when I see a job posting like that, it kind of suggests to me that um, they're not, they don't really know the technology they're talking about. They're just talking about the, about the name in the most shallow way possible. Yeah, it seems like it's sort of, in a sense, trying to uh, get them to... Uh attached to this emotional like look at us we get you we're with you on this we're 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 fighting the good fight too come here and spread the great ruby like is that sort of it's playing to that too right i think it might be so i get um, the core point well this is this is a uh this is an effect of the bro slash startup culture being prominent in silicon valley and palo alto and general tech community nowadays where, uh, you know, everybody wants to be a programmer. Everybody wants to be that DevOps and Ruby on Rails and Docker and so on and so forth guy. And, you know, everybody wants to be cool. Everybody wants to be the next Steve Jobs in this case. Right, and everybody wants to go work for the next visionary. Exactly. And so if they do this, I think the idea may be that they appeal to this kind of guy who who might not really have any idea of the technical merits of the particular technology. Yeah. But would still have skills enough to work there. Yeah, yeah. WW, you've been job hunting recently. What's your perspective? Um, for me, I occasionally see like that kind of language, but for the most part, what I see from hunting um, is that people have um, requirements for H1N visa or not, or some ads are just have they have too many requirements for that role and they don't state the title appropriately so it's like whoa this is just way more than what that requires why are you asking for this it's like they're trying to get more it or more programming for their smaller budget yeah 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 there boy there's a lot of dynamics to this when you think about it uh interesting um so i i appreciate the start of the conversation um and mike this almost reminds me a little bit of our discussion about immigration and the whole uh, uh visa situation and we we talked a lot about that. I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago. And since then, AeroFS, the folks over at AeroFS, uh, Yuri Selgov, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but you'll have to forgive me. He went to the AeroFS blog to say that uh, all this hoopla around immigration isn't about talent, but it's about, or I'm sorry, it's not about the cost of the talent, but of the skill of the talent. And uh, and he even specifically references the uh, the article that we talked about from Business Week. The tech worker shor- tech worker shortage doesn't really exist, and uh, where we quoted some scholars they had interviewed, and we went on to talk about how much interns might make from free to you know quite a bit of money. Well, 
just a little bit after Coda Radio aired, Vox published an article set titled, These Tech Interns Are Probably Making More Than You. At Quora, you get $8,250 a month, plus 1500 in housing. At Pinterest, if you're an intern, $7,500 a month, plus one point five in housing. If you're working at Dropbox, Dropbox, $8,500 a month, plus a stipend for housing. Google, $7,000 a month. Square, $7,500 a month. LinkedIn, $44 an hour, about $7,600 a month. Fitbit, $9,300 a month. I can't believe some of these numbers. So we were talking about maybe interns working for free and the sort of expectation they have. It seems to me that these rock stars in Silicon are Silicon Valley are sort of setting this crazy expectation that's just spreading out yep. and like it's it's so far I these literally these people are making more money than I make. Interns. I mean that's crazy. That's crazy. That's that that is to set that to set the bar to set the bar that freaking high. No wonder students coming out of school have a high expectation. I uh, uh Shadow, go ahead. You had something to to throw in here? No, Shadow. Okay. Uh I I I am sort of just oh. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say um Amazon interns make 15 an hour in okay. Florida. Okay. I mean, 15 an hour still actually seems like a lot to me for an intern. To tell you the truth, it seems like quite a bit. Right. So so the, the, I think that's probably a part of the problem, too, in that, you know, if you live in, I don't know, some random Midwest state, Kansas, right, you're not going to be looking at Silicon Valley wages. Uh, but you're going to be hearing about them. So any offer you get is going to feel lowball. It's even more localized than that, like here in Washington State, home of Amazon and Microsoft and uh, Nintendo US and uh, T-Mobile US, if you are 20 miles to 30 miles north of Seattle, you could expect a major drop in wages. And if you are another 20 to 30 miles north of that where I live, it's another massive reduction. I mean, it goes from up where I live, an IT wage if you worked at a local business here, would be about $65,000 a year. If you go right. down to Seattle and you do the same job, you would probably make $130,000 a year. It is a huge difference just that far out of Seattle. So, and I wonder if this is just something that maybe you don't realize until you have some experience in the real world. I mean, I don't mean to be uh, diminutive to students, but perhaps you see these numbers and you think, well, these are the trendsetters of the industry, so everybody must be following that. Well, I think it's that everybody, you know, to get to that point of getting your first job out of, like, university, right, everybody's incentives are a little stupid, right? The college is not <laughs> going to tell you about, in all seriousness, they're going to tell you about the 99.99% of, you know, low-level IT jobs that pay, you know, a decent wage, but certainly not what you've been hearing about. Yeah, yeah. They're going to tell you about Microsoft. Right. It's exciting. Right? Right. They're going to tell you about Google. They're going to tell you about new hip startup that's, you know, I don't know, pick five, right? Hootsuite, all these people. Sure. Um, Dropbox. The problem is maybe 0.1% or maybe, you know, at a good school, 1% of your class can get those jobs. Yeah, right. And the, everybody else is kind of fighting for the, you know, 
Java programmer at the insurance company. And uh, uh, before we move off of expectations, uh, Kitson, I wanted to give you a chance to get in here. Uh, what were your thoughts on uh, expectations not being a new thing necessarily? So in both IT and development, historically, expectations of employers have been unrealistic. Anybody remembers in the late 90s, early 2000s, you would see developer uh, postings where you'd have to have 20 years of Java experience (laughs) to get the job. And Java had only been out, what, four or five years? (laughs) I've seen the same thing when I early on, uh, you know, back in the uh, uh, early two thousands, uh, getting Linux jobs. Same kind of like they would have they would have a requirement for Linux experience for longer than Linux had been around. You know, it's the same kind of ridiculous stuff. Uh, okay, just before we totally move away from the Arrow uh, FS post here, uh, Mike, he he also talked about a couple of things that uh, we didn't really bring up in the cost of. We were our, our I think maybe our primary argument was a lot of times large corporations. Wanted want to have outside uh, outside the country work mainly because they can pay them less and they have the um, right. But I think the, there's the leverage, also yeah. There's a little bit of an unfair thing saying, oh well, he still paid him, you know, around the same salary. But what about the credentials, right? So you paid a you know a PhD the same as you would have paid a maybe someone holding a master's here, right? It, it's kind of an unfair argument, right? Because it creates this. Um, really an arms race in terms of credentials and experience for the same job. I say it again and again, you really, really don't need, you know, a freaking master's degree to do most development, right? I mean, yes, there's the Googles, there's the people writing the compilers, there's all these guys that we all like to, you know, show off and see how much you rock. But the reality is your customer is going to break your balls, not about how fast your code runs normally, but that you got the wrong shade of blue in his logo. And that's usually, you know, it's a... Yeah, it's a totally different world you, for, for you, the vast majority. I feel of like you should almost say that again. It's. It, I think that's so important for people to understand that at the end of the day, it's almost in 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 the real world when you give customers code, it's not about how fast it runs. Most cases, I mean, obviously that's a component, but they're going to quibble about the color, shade of blue, things like that. That's always what the sticky points are. Right. It's and, and there are cases, of course, where it matters. But and, and we like to talk about those, and they're on Hacker News, and they're on the subreddit, <laughs> and that, that's that's awesome. Yeah. But the odds of anyone, you know, in this audience—I mean, this audience probably is a bad bad set. But the odds of if we got a room of a hundred just developers, you know, who random entry level developers, even senior developers, most of them probably don't do that kind of thing. Most of them probably care about did the site five hundred right? Because a lot of them are web developers. Did the site 500? Can we connect to the database? Did the data save? Did the server crash? And is it the right color blue? That's it. <laughs> well put, Mr. Dominic. In fact, yeah, uh, I, I think we should just put a punctuation on that right there. You guys can yeah. read the rest of the article. It's a pretty good piece, but uh, I want to shift gears real quick because uh, Mike actually, uh, one of our Hoopla topics, uh, I, I caught off Mike's Twitter feed. Did you guys know Mike's on Twitter? <gasps> no. Mike, what is your Twitter handle? At Dumanuku, D-O-M-I-N-U-C-C-O. That is so easy, yeah. I, I Because I follow you, one of the stories we're going to talk I was like, this is, I, you know, because you know what it is. is. At first, I was kind of like, oh, man, he tweets out his pocket stuff, but I realized you're just tweeting the good stuff, and it's always great stuff when you tweet it out. So I grabbed one yeah. of those stories. We're going to talk about yeah, one I, of those. 
I yeah. read about 20 articles a night. I tweet like two. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, no, it's just the right amount. It's perfect. So uh, first, uh, let's talk about uh, DigitalOcean because DigitalOcean freaking rocks. Uh, we just got a, uh, a comment in from the show that I, I, I'm going back and forth with them on a couple of things. But the stuff that they're building on DigitalOcean is amazing. Now, I, I, And I was pretty proud of my infrastructure because – so for the Jupiter Broadcasting Network, we've got a lot of people that need to work with different assets – and we're working more and more with developers. We want to give them access to like the SVGs of our files and of our, of our logos and, and things like that. And the perfect resource to go to to set up a system like this it was a no brainer. A DigitalOcean droplet running OwnCloud, and because because DigitalOcean makes so easy so easy to get going with OwnCloud, it was like just click click and I was done. I'm ready with an Ubuntu instance running OwnCloud immediately. There's so many things you can use DigitalOcean for. You can build your own from scratch backend infrastructure, or you can do a one click deployment of GitLab. I mean, it's so awesome the flexibility and range you get and it truly is a simple cloud hosting provider so go over to DigitalOcean right now check them out and use the promo code coder december one word it's a holiday miracle coder december when you check out or just apply to your account and you'll get a ten dollar credit you'll see that DigitalOcean is dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server you'll be really impressed with how straightforward and amazing it works Users can usually get started in less than 55 seconds. In fact, some folks in our community have gotten started even faster than that. I get tweeted, and, and honestly, I love it. Take a screenshot, tweet me with your spin-up time for a DigitalOcean droplet. You know, and maybe, you know, consider when you do it and what data center you're doing at because they've got lots to choose from. So include that information so I can let people know. But most folks get started in less than 55 seconds. And pricing plans start at only $5 per month. That'll get you 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. A terabyte. A terabyte of transfer for $5 a month. That's amazing. They have digital, DigitalOcean has data center locations uh, in New York. They've got one, or uh, several in New York, actually. It's like, they, they have, the way it works out when you log into the UI is you'll click on the New York region, and then underneath the New York region logo, they'll bust out all the different data centers in that area you can choose from. It's, it's, it's such a cool UI. Plus, they have data centers in San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and London. You can do private networking, many of them, which is a really cool feature. But it's really about their interface. It's super simple, very intuitive, and you can replicate the functionality on a larger scale with their straightforward API. There's already great apps taking advantage of that API, so you, know, you don't have to do anything if you don't want to. But there, it really would be a great opportunity to snap it into kind of management infrastructure you might have, any automated scripting. Really, if, if, you, if you just sat down and thought about it, you could make it so that your systems would scale up to DigitalOcean based on demand. And DigitalOcean even offers hourly pricing, which is perfect for that kind of thing. Like, make, like why not? Like, if you, if you just have a, a period of time where you need to just be super responsive, you could build out a, a quick CDN on DigitalOcean, run the hourly pricing, have the most amazing performance of your website for hours, days, months. And when you use our promo code, Coder December, you get the $10 credit. So you could really push that quite a ways and it might not cost you anything. And the other thing that's great about DigitalOcean, which it's so the interface gets you going fast, but now they're working on these incredible tutorials. And, and it's not just like – these are like the best of the best. Like when you do Google searches, like some of the best stuff out there is a DigitalOcean tutorials. In fact, if you go to their community section, you can check some of them out. But if you have an expertise in an area and you want to make a little extra holiday cash, DigitalOcean is paying up to $200 if you write a tutorial for them. And their editors will work with you, so it's not all on you. Uh, I like this. Like, uh, uh, they, if, if, you, if, you have, uh, if you have like just an itch you want to scratch, go check out some of their tutorials. There's some great ideas over there. How to set up and configure an open VPN server on CentOS. How to set up a Froxlore server 
How about a Java server, a Minecraft server, own cloud, one-click installation, Node.js application production for Ubuntu 14.04. Just right there. Get you going right away. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code Coder December when you check out. And a huge thank you to DigitalOcean for supporting the Coder Radio program. And thanks to all of you guys out there for taking advantage of our sponsors. Okay, Mike. So you tweeted that Microsoft has acquired Hockey App, which, if I am understanding correctly, Hockey App is sort of like a background analytics and crash collecting app, right? That sort of sends uh, off so, reports to de- developers. So it's a little more, more, more than that, right? It's right, for it um, me, a number of platforms. Can you hear me now? Yeah. No, I see. Lay it on me. Oh, it's a distribution, kind of like Test Flight for iOS, Android, Mac, and uh, I think all of the Microsoft platforms. Right, but but Hockey App. Okay, yeah, so it works for all of them. Right, yeah, okay. Right, and that's the big advantage, right? That's why we at Fingertip use hockey. Oh, you do? Right, we've been using it for a while now only because, yeah, TestFlight is, you know, the Apple-supported one, but the problem is if if you're doing a project with an iOS and an Android build, let me tell you, getting people signed up on these services is a nightmare, an absolute disaster. It, it, it's just something that requires a lot of hand-holding for a lot of people. So we found that if we just got Hockey, which was one service for both platforms, and, and Mac, if it, yeah. if it ever mattered. Oh, really? Uh, it does Mac desktop yep. analytics? It does Mac and, uh, and Windows RT and Windows Phone, I believe. I'm not sure about the RT, but I know Phone. So this is um, like, I mean, just because I'm a total noob when it comes sure. to this end of it, this is like essentially Google Analytics at the app level? So it's a little more than that, right? So Google Analytics is just usage. Hockey, we could do usage, but more importantly for, for what we do, we can actually get like crash analytics, usage analytics okay. during cool. uh, during the development phase. That's very nice. But you could, yeah. you could, in theory, leave it in there after development too, right, when it's shipped? Like if the license doesn't preclude that, you could you could actually yeah, continue. The license doesn't preclude that, but there's some, uh, there's some things you can't leave in depending on how aggressive you are. Um, well, I guess you could, but I think if so, there, there's a lot of weird stuff about phoning home on the App Store, right? So um, you can, yeah, okay. So some, so yeah. you're saying some App Stores might prohibit it? Maybe we've Maybe. never we've never come into a case where it's been a problem. Okay, but theoretically, I guess it could be. All right, I think as long as you don't pull the UUID of the device, you're okay. So I wanted to I want to ask the mumble room what they think about Microsoft jumping into a analytics app that works across all platforms. But I'll I'll start. So I'll give you guys a chance to think about it and, and uh, tag me in the IRC if, if you have thoughts on why Microsoft is doing this. Uh, so Microsoft announced that it is acquiring Hockey App, the crash analytics service for mobile apps. Now, here's what I find interesting. Uh, Microsoft, at the same time, is kind of working on their own kind of competitive thing. Uh, so Hockey App provides a variety of tools for helping developers to distribute and test mobile apps, including crash reporting, beta software distribution, feedback, and cross-platform support for iOS, Android, and Windows Phone. In the coming months... Microsoft will announce a new iOS and Android SDK for its Applications Insights software to take advantage of the new tools. Hockey App, for its part, says that nothing will change for its users at the moment. Their apps will account, will continue to work the same. So Microsoft has this thing called application, Applications Insights, and they've just acquired Hockey App. So I guess I, I start to suspect, I'm looking at these two things and I'm thinking, Microsoft's got Azure. Visual Studio right now is very specific to their to their own platforms, but what if what if the new Microsoft quote unquote and I even hate saying that, but what if the new Microsoft just really wants to plug in at all of the services level? What if the new Microsoft is saying, you know, we're going to give a go at having our own mobile platform, but we've got to recognize 
that ship has sailed. So the new Microsoft wants to just be really sort of the cement groundwork for a lot of stuff. You know, you build your analytics apps on top of the Microsoft platform. You host the back-end infrastructure, maybe the sync services, whatever it is, on Azure. You know, we'll spin it up for you. We'll connect it right up to your IDE, and you're good to go. So I think this is a really – I think I believe – I could be wrong, but I think this is a sign of Microsoft saying our role is going to be sort of enabling the developers – to make apps across all of the platforms, not yes. just Windows. What do you think, Mike? Yes, th- this this is what I've what I've been thinking. Right, Microsoft wants to be Delphi but successful. <laughs> um, no, really. They, I mean, just over the last year, the the amount of uh, the number of important tools in my tool chain that have somehow been influenced or changed by Microsoft, it is huge. Right, like overnight now, I use hockey every day, all the goddamn day long. And now it's a Microsoft product. Yeah. I imagine they're going to do something where the hockey brand survives for a while. Right. They're probably going to want to transfer us to the um, Digital Insight, whatever it's called. And here's the ironic thing. Lots of developers use hockey. I've never even heard of this Digital Insight tool. Yeah, yeah, right. So maybe they'll keep the hockey brand and maybe it's a stronger brand. Who knows? They, but, that would not be unlike them. They do that sometimes. I mean, doing some Xamarin development, I could tell you if I could get better hockey integration and in, in, well, how about good hockey integration into Visual Studio – that would be fantastic. That'd be great, right? Make that deployment story, particularly for um, for iOS, which I don't know if you know this, Chris, but to build even even Xamarin iOS, you have to have a Mac sitting next to you or a Mac server, and do this uh, this very. They made the process seamless, but it's kind of a pain. This bridging between the Mac and the Visual Studio yeah. instance is called the build host. Yeah, tell me about that. It's stupid. Um, 99.9% of the time it just works. Sometimes you get weird issues where the answer is just restart both computers and see what happens. Love it. Um, Production grade. Um, well, it's, it's it, you know what it is? It's because Apple has that weird rule about you can't not build it on a Macintosh. Uh, so even even if you could find a way to do the compilation you know, on Windows or even in the cloud, right, that something would stop you, mm-hmm. the hardware has to be a Mac. Right. In fact, there are companies who will who will lease you right. Mac yes. servers in the cloud <clears throat> yep. for this purpose. <laughs> Ridiculous. Uh, I wanted to give uh, Wizard Jet a chance to sort of fill in any uh, spots we might have missed. Uh, Wizard Jet, did you have any thoughts on it? Yeah, only just, you know, Microsoft realizes that not all of its products are going to be perfect, and there's always going to be other products that are just going to do a better, you know, might maybe a better job than what they're doing. Or maybe not as good a job, but just they're not doing a good enough job going and promoting their side. If but, you, yeah, I mean, okay, so let me ask you this, uh, Wizard. Uh, if, if you stripped away all of the debates about licensing, and, and freedom and, and uh, proprietary software and even cost. You take it all away. You look at what they're doing with Windows 10. They're obviously trying to address power user-specific features, trying to make it a good platform for power users. You, you, you think of Visual Studio. You think of things like this hockey app. You think of things like Azure. Are you starting to see a picture where Microsoft is like maybe building uh, something really compelling for, for, for power users? What do you think, uh, Wizard? So it's just right now, like in the past, like with every revision of Windows, they seem to be slowly killing themselves when it comes to going in the, the, the power users, which made them what they are. But 10 and seems to I be a reversal on that, right? Yeah, that's the thing. 10, I, I feel like they're finally figuring out, it's like, geez, guys, we're not making any headway on the whole consumer front. Maybe we should be pushing and going back to our roots and saying, okay, start pushing the apps that made us successful. 
All right, uh, Kits and Kitty, uh, do you think this is Microsoft's only chance to make it last over the long haul, like this is a longevity move? What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, that's what I was actually thinking, because if you look at Windows 8, um, it's a pretty big train wreck. <laughs> I'm thinking uh, that what they're doing is they're feeling the pressure from Mac and Linux, and they want to move to a model where perhaps they don't have to just rely on Linux itself. Or Windows, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that just seems I, – I, I am a big resistance resistance to this. Sachi Nadella comes in and all of a sudden 55,000 people are doing something different. Uh, I just don't believe that's how humanity in large groups works. But I do think, you know, if nothing else at the end of the day, Sachi is saying, let's do it. Let's not do it. And it's at least getting through him. And I think we're starting to see stuff that wouldn't have happened under Balmer. And part of it is, is uh, so it didn't make it into my interview with Dustin Kirkland because it was it was sort of off the record. <clears throat> but I talked to Dustin Kirkland on Sunday's Linux Action Show. He's the guy that heads up the uh, cloud efforts over at Canonical. And uh, he was talking about their new Ubuntu Snappy Core, which sort of is kind of like a CoreOS competitor. You know, transactional updates to the file system. Everything runs in a container. And uh, when we got off air, I said, uh, I said, Dustin, I couldn't help but notice that when Ubuntu Snappy Core was announced, the biggest pull quote on your front page was from Microsoft. And it starts the first words of the paragraph from the quote from the biggest company on the, the, on the Ubuntu Snappy Core page. The, it's Microsoft loves Linux. And I, I said, Dustin, how the hell... Did you get a poll quote from Microsoft that starts with Microsoft loves Linux? I mean, this is a totally different Microsoft. And he said that during the development of Ubuntu Snappy Core, they talked to a lot of partners. And he said, in fact, there's going to be some interesting stuff with DigitalOcean in 2015. But they talked with a lot of people who run Ubuntu in a cloud, quote unquote, instance like Amazon and all of them, Rackspace. And he said Microsoft was so all in on the support. Like, they were encouraging us. They gave us some feedback. And then, like, they, they launched as a launch as the premier launch provider for Ubuntu Snappy Core on, uh, on Microsoft Azure. So it I, – I mean, I mean, I'm pretty skeptical, but it does seem like a different Microsoft. Well, of, this is the Microsoft that accepts Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> now, see, I think – I think, if I may, uh, what has happened is that for the past uh, 10, 15 years, uh, Windows has kind of been cannibalizing Microsoft. Uh, what Steve Ballmer did was he directed all attention towards Windows, and he maintained that Windows was the uh, uh, the main business, the you know primary uh, goal of Microsoft, the primary objective of Microsoft. And so uh, that's why you didn't have Office on Android, and that's why... Uh, you know, you had a lot of uh, very interesting projects, very good uh, uh, projects in Microsoft get sort of cut down, get compromised because they weren't Windows specific, and Windows failed, kind of. And so, well, uh, I don't know if I'd say failed, but it just became less relevant. Precisely, but for for uh, for a product this size to be replaced by Android and iOS and something completely different. And for it to be not be able to adapt to this new environment, uh, that is a failure because the bigger they are, the harder they fall, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, right? Because a failure for Microsoft might be they retain 
70, maybe let's just, let's be mean. Let's say Microsoft retains half of the market in terms of overall computer usage. I mean, computing device usage, right? Because has that already happened? I don't know. Has Android, has, is the sheer number of Android, I, I actually guess that already has happened. The sheer number of Android devices has surpassed the sheer number of, of Windows devices. But in terms of actual productive computing, and this, I know that's a bullshit term, but seriously, in terms of people getting actual work done on, on real computers that are that maybe add to the economy in some way besides buying S, I, I got to believe Windows still will will own at least half that market for the next decade, right? So it's not, I mean, that's, if that's your version of failure, I'd take that. I mean, holy crap, I'd take that. But for Microsoft, it's, you know, it's a company that's not built around 50%. It's a company built around 90% plus. And so for them, it is a problem. But what they, what they, what they appear to be doing is, is very intelligently so, recognizing that fact in a very humble and reasonable way in such that they continue to improve that, make it more friendly to power users, integrate it with their services. In fact, one could e- some could even say that they have hobbled OneDrive in an attempt to make so – OneDrive on Windows has been hobbled in an attempt to make OneDrive more equal across other platforms. Like that's a different Microsoft today. And I think that's, that's what's interesting. That's what I think this is, you know, as we sit here at the end of 2014, this has been a major change. This is, has been one of the – I think this has been one of the biggest changes for a company that I've ever seen. So I think it's pretty Well, good. of course. Well, of course. See, even on the desktop side, Microsoft is sort of losing ground. Uh, for example, the guy, uh, Kushal Das, uh, who was at the Fedora Summit on Sunday in, on La- in last, he's from my city, apparently. Oh, cool. Uh, yes. Which I just discovered, and you have a that must lot have been fun people. seeing that. Yes, it was quite interesting to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> See, definitely, and you have a lot of uh, institutions switching to open source, switching to LibreOffice and OpenOffice and everything. And Ubuntu is incredibly popular. Yeah. In fact, uh, my sister works at this uh, media outlet, and they issue Ubuntu laptops with GNOME. Oh, really? Yes, they do. I want to talk to Mike about his switching to Ubuntu uh, this week, last week. But first, I want to give WW the last thoughts on this topic. Uh, WW, you had a note on Microsoft addressing the needs of power users. I, I don't really think they are. I mean, I remember using the Power Tweet tools from <laughs> the Windows XP days. Oh, I remember! And... I remember Plus for my Windows ninety eight installation. Oh, Come on. Oh. Oh, yeah, but, but you know what's hilarious is, like, one of the biggest things I want is I want integrated multiple tabs on Windows Explorer so I can <laughs> work my, my files. And you know what? I have to use an extension from a person in Japan yeah, I know. to do that. And how are they adding power user features? I'd really, really want well, Sante to come to me and ask me what you want. or tell me how they're going to integrate really advanced stuff because the only thing I see is, Windows 10 being relegated to gaming for me. Wow. Wow. All right. Well, uh, with that note, uh, Mike, I had a question for you. Um, this is the last topic I had for the for the week. But uh, a little birdie on Twitter told me that uh, you've been rocking a uh, Linux setup. And I, I, I'm sorry, Mike. I thought for some reason you were on a MacBook uh, using OS 10, But apparently you've been using Ubuntu with GNOME. What's this all about? What's going on over there? So I'm currently on a MacBook. Um, <laughs> the desktop next to it is running Ubuntu and Windows. Now, yeah, so 
I don't know what to say, Chris. I, I gave in. So you did Ubuntu what? Uh, do you remember which version you installed on that? Uh, yeah, it's, it, it's 14.1. Um, I 14. played with Gnome. Okay. I actually ended up going back to Unity. Oh. Even though Unity I don't love. Um, now, uh, uh, is this a project you're working on, or are you just kind of uh, dipping your toes in? I'm just kind of dipping my toes in. I mean, I'm doing a lot more back-end development than I have been in several months. So, what was your experience setting it up? What did you think? Anything? So, this is fourteen ten's the latest version shipping. Uh, What made you decide to go with GNOME and all of that? I'm curious about that. Yeah, I had my resident Linux hippie set it up for me. Nice, dude. Yeah, once he got the install done, that was fine. Uh, I went. I tried. So here's what happened. I installed it, and I had some weird performance issues on Unity. So I just quickly apt get a GNOME. And I ran GNOME for, I would say, like two days and didn't like it. Uh, so I went right back to Unity. That's fair. That's fair. Now, you know, the, cause, yeah, the cause of my pain was that the proprietary driver for my NVIDIA card didn't, uh, didn't actually, well, it updated, but it didn't reactivate or something stupid. So I had to go and reactivate it, restart the machine, and then Unity was behaving again. And, you know, I'll tell you, too, I believe in 14.10, uh, it's, a, it's a little bit older version of GNOME, too, where they've, they've cleaned some of the, some of the uh, GPU... Uh, Effects up too. Um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, I miss it being brown. That's all I'm going to say. So, uh, I, you know, this last week, uh, or two weeks, really, I've been running uh, Fedora 21. And I'll tell you about Fedora. Here's my, here's my takeaway on Fedora. My, my, my high level, like, if I was going to do, I just, we've been so busy, I haven't had a, t- a chance to do a proper review. And I'm going to go into further detail on Linux Unplugged on Tuesday, though, because I do want to touch on this. But, uh, my high-level review of Fedora 21 is if you want a Linux, quote-unquote, workstation to do development work and you want to be close to upstream, you want to be close to, like, like uh, where Linux is going, it's all about Fedora. And I, and I, but I want to put a big caveat on that. It, in terms of post-setup, Fedora takes the most work. But there are, there's, there's scripts out there like, uh, like uh, Fedly, F-E-D-L-Y, that will automate like the installation of Chrome and MP3 codecs and Flash and Java, all, you know all the stuff you need to be able to use your computer on the internet. Uh, and once you run that kind of stuff, Fedora 21 is pretty compelling. And uh, if you're if you're thinking about creating applications for Linux that would run on a Red Hat system, I I, I give it a really high recommendation. So right now, Mike, my or my pecking order. Is Antigros or Antegros, whatever, Fedora, then Ubuntu, um, and and the only reason for that is Ubuntu is is a great system. Uh, it's a great setup. My main complaint with it is, um, it's just really not pushing the envelope anymore. It's 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 good though, but it, and it's it's it would make a great workstation. But if you really kind of want to be closer to upstream and you want to see where Linux is going. I think Fedora 21 has a beat right now. However, if you, Mike, if you get a chance to reload, I highly, highly, highly recommend if you're going to go Ubuntu and you're going to use it as a development workstation where you just want it to work really well, you want like the best Linux experience possible, I recommend you go check out the Ubuntu Mate edition based on Ubuntu okay. for, yeah, Ubuntu M-A-T-E. Fourteen oh four. It's based on four. So, they, so it's it's confusing because they have a fourteen ten release out. Then after the right. fourteen ten release, they went back and made a fourteen oh four release that's more refined and more polished, and it's based on the Ubuntu LTS. So you get five years of updates, 
and it, and they, but they've put more polish on it. It's a really really nice system. It's it's made. Oh, this looks like uh, this. It's old like gnome, gnome too. too. Yeah, it's old gnome yeah. too. And I mean, so that's the downside. But if you can tweak it a little bit, it's it's extremely productive. It's like the it's like it's 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 like the most productive Linux. So a couple of things I did notice off the bat, right? It's been a little while since I used Linux. Um, bunch of stores still sucks. Like, yeah, bad, right? Real bad. I, I just use App to get. So PPAs are still popular because yeah. I found myself not using PPAs. Yeah, anymore. no, PPAs are still a thing. I know. See, this is this is this, this is horrible. Uh, so in Fedora, they now have the GNOME Software Center. It's all free software right now. They right, have right. Some, they have the ability to add commercial software in there. That's like they've already like laid the groundwork for that. But right now it's but it, dude, it's so much better than the software center. So that that's good. And the thing that's nice about the GNOME software center is it's available on all GNOME desktops that run the latest versions of GNOME. So it's like it's like a GNOME wide software center, which is so it's not just an Ubuntu specific thing. Yeah, I mean, I, to give the canonical guys credit, I mean, I'm using it as a dev machine. I'm, I'm basically not doing anything heavy, right? Web work and Rails work. Um, and I may have installed some games off of Steam. Hey, oh, that's basically it. I mean, it it works fine. It's not terrible, other than that one weird graphics issue. Mm-hmm. I only reason I the reason why I bring up Ubuntu Mate is I uh, I worked with a <laughs> a really great PHP developer, as a matter of fact. Uh, but he really was really great, and uh, he specifically wanted just a, like a static work environment that was very very high quality, but would not change. And he wanted it to be Linux. And today, I would recommend Ubuntu Mate to him because it's. You're, it is what you will find, Mike, when you try it. If you do try it, is you'll be like, it. The UI looks old, and it feels like old computing. But it's it's all of the best stuff about old computing modernized, and it makes your machine feel like a frickin' mainframe. It's so fast, like it's like mm-hmm. every like the every window flies, everything pops up. So it feels very responsive, and that to me sort of makes up for the fact that it kind of looks like last now, generation. could I have to get install Mate over no, Unity or no? I can't do that. Uh, you could, but see, um, uh, the Ubuntu Mate project has done some customizations, like they have a different menu system in there. They make it easier I to see. edit the menus. Plus, it's based on 1404. But here's the best part. Based, based on 1404, but they're backporting like the hardware fixes and stuff like that. So it's a really it's a really compelling development environment, I, th- I think. Uh, I think, I mean... See, the thing is... Didn't they... Unity's Unity Seven's it's end of the road, man. It's not going anywhere. They're, re- they're, rebu- kind of rap, right? they're rebuilding right. it, and it looks like that 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 top title bar looks like it's out of the nineties, dude. Like I do, I'm looking at. So this is GNOME two. I'm looking at May. Yeah, okay, yeah, whatever. Yeah, it. It's GNOME two. I mean, yeah, this is very they, uh, familiar to what work, I used to run. They're working on right. a new theme that sort of modernizes it, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, but you know what though? You'll find when you use it, it's extremely. <clears throat> what you'll find is, turns out. The reason why we kind of ended up on this UI design is because we spent 30 freaking years refining the UI and landed yeah. on this. And it actually works very well. Like, it's so, like, all, all of your master uh, uh, file system locations are right there in the places menu. All of your config options are right there in the system menu. And all of your apps are yeah, a really I mean, good. This, this is literally GNOME 2. Like, I'm, yeah. just, I'm just kind yeah. of playing around. Uh, Matei is a fork of GNOME 2 uh, where they've continued yeah. to update it. And they've, it, they've introduced new features where it's appropriate. Like, it at, does have some new stuff. And like in the in the in the menu, like if you type in the name of an application and you don't have it installed, the menu will automatically just give you a one click install the package link, and you just click it and it installs the package, and now you have it. It's it's nice. It's really refined. So let me add let me add some boredom to the fire, Chris. I've already got all my packages set up. All right. Well, so I mean, if you got it, I mean, if it's working for you, man, don't switch. Yeah. 
<laughs> I'm just saying next time you reload. I mean, next time. It'll, it, you know, you know what will happen? Because I, I shouldn't have taken, actually, the, the non-LTS, to be honest with you. Because what will happen is the upgrade will come, and it will break something, and I'll yeah. just repave it because I'm lazy. Yeah, when that comes, you might consider it. Because this 1404 based one's got five years, right? Got five years, yeah. And you know what's interesting is Mint, the other kind of easygoing, uh, you know, out-of-the-box Linux experience, is also based on 1404. Mint 17.1 is based on I did look at Mint. I used to run the Debian edition yeah. um, for yeah. a while there, but I, I always end up coming back to Ubuntu. Yeah, that's understandable. It's it's sort of like when you're coming out from the outside, uh, there's so many guides, so many software packages already made available, so much that. development it's, it's support. Like, well, it's I used to run it before, so I now get fairly well. Um, and the other thing is I literally am doing work on it, right? So I'm, I'm popping open Sublime Text or Vim, and I'm just kind of, let's yeah. be honest, it's Sublime Text, not Vim anymore. I'm, <laughs> Have um, you tried Adam? And it, yeah, I don't like Adam at all, actually. I don't think we ever talked about that. I really, really don't like Adam. Yeah. I, it's okay. Adam, so it's so real fast, right? Adam it does not feel like a text editor. It feels like something that GitHub really wants to lock me into. And I already spent a lot of money on GitHub. You know, <laughs> we use it. I don't. I don't see a need to have yet yet another level of GitHub locking. Send your hate mail to um, Angela at JupiterBroadcasting.com. Nice, nice. Now you're gonna get coal in your stocking. That's okay. Uh, yeah, you know. Speaking of feedback, go to JupiterBroadcasting.com/slash/contact uh, and uh, send us your quarter radio feedback. We will not be live next week, but we will have a new episode of Best Of, but we do need your submissions to make that happen. A special thank you to our Mumble Room for showing up. You guys are awesome. And if you're on the live stream, stay tuned. We're going to have our Developers Summit meeting, which uh, will be made available to our Tech Talk Today uh, patrons. Mr. Dominic, is there anything else we need to cover on today's episode of Coda Radio? No, I would just say go check out DominicM.com because I was supposed to have a post up today and we'll probably do it tomorrow. <laughs> I like that. I'll probably get to it, so just check it out from time to time. Uh, why don't yep. you also uh, follow me on Twitter to get updates about network stuff, scheduling things, twitter.com slash chrislas, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for that bad man pajama. And uh, also, while you're at it, coderadio.reddit.com. Help make this show even better. If there's something you didn't hear us talk about, why didn't they talk about this? Well, go submit to the Coder Radio subreddit and coderadio at jupiterbroadcasting.com. All right, Mr. Dominic, you have yourself a great week, sir. And everybody out there, thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Coder Radio. We'll see you right back here next week. Actually, in two weeks, best of next week. Happy holidays, everybody. See you soon. <laughs>